This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I am joined today by Mile High Reports' Joe Mahoney. So it is the Joe and Joe podcast tonight. How are we doing, Joe? I'm doing all right. Everybody, hope you're having a, a happy holiday season so far. and. Uh, uh, getting some presents wrapped a little bit early like I was earlier today. So um, let's get this going. So there's a lot th- th- There's a lot going on. So Buffalo just happened, obviously. Uh, I kind of want to pick your brain on like what you saw in Buffalo because I've tried watching the tape through twice now after the actual game, and I feel like watching the defense, my eyes just continue to gloss over because Josh Allen just shredded them. Like it just – it wasn't even fun. Like it was just Josh Allen had 10, uh, 10 play or 14 plays of 10 plus yards or more through the air. Like he just ripped them apart. To, to me, it felt like when Peyton Manning played against us in the playoffs. Yeah. Yep. Um, that, that game where, I mean, it looked like he was just toying with the defense. I mean, he, whatever he wanted to do, he did it. He found every open guy. It seemed like whatever we, we blitzed him. He it didn't, didn't matter. We dropped back. Didn't matter. Uh, I forget what it was, but I want to say we were like down 35 to three at the half in that game. And it just was, it was a, it was a blowout from the get go. I mean, the only reason we were even in the Buffalo game was the muff punt. Yeah. Without that muff punt, because I mean, really, realistically we had that and we had the end of the half drive on offense, Mm -hmm. but our defense wasn't doing anything. It was bad. It in 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 the in so I had a lot of people this week on Twitter trying to tell me, oh, the Broncos defense didn't even try, and I don't think that's true. Uh, to to your point about how like they tried to blitz and it didn't work, they tried to play coverage and it didn't work. So Josh Allen, I think a week ago was the number one quarterback in the NFL by EPA per play, uh, which is estimated points added per play mm-hmm. when he wasn't under pressure, and it dropped to 14th when he was. So like it made sense to try and pressure him. But the problem is when your cornerbacks are Michael Ojemudier, Will Parks in his second game, and Devontae Bosby, there's there's less the, the coverage has to hold up alone more. And and that's hard to do against a Stefan Diggs and a Cole Beasley. So it, it was one of those like kind of you you couldn't blitz him because you couldn't stay in coverage. But if you didn't blitz him, he had time to roast your coverage. So it just it was lose lose. And I hate to be a kind of like I don't mean to be the pessimistic guy, but I, I worry that that's going to be the same story against Justin Herbert. Because, I mean, Michael Ojemudia and Devontae Bosby had some good plays. Like, if you zoom in enough, there are definitely some good plays on tape. But on a macro sense, like, they, yeah, they got ripped apart. 
Yeah, well, and, and you know, it's one of those things where against uh, a mobile, essentially a, to, to use the Tebow phrase, a fullback playing quarterback, but one who can actually throw in this case, um, you know, you can't really just go balls to the wall at him, too, when you pass rush. Nope. You kind of have to rush to contain because mm -hmm. otherwise he's going to do what he did on that touchdown run, which is just, boom, up the middle, break contain. 21 yards later, he runs over – or well, he didn't run him over. Elijah Holder uh, – yeah, Elijah Holder falls over, gets blocked, and, uh, and you know, Allen walks into the end zone untouched, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't – you know, and, and I know – Herbert is is athletic, but he's not the same kind of yeah. tank that Josh Allen is. So maybe we can get a little bit more pressure with our, uh, you know, our, our our mostly B team pressure squad as it is, anyways. I mean, um, that's definitely my hope because one of the things I think the Bills do, and they did really well, that not most teams aren't going to do this. They use Allen essentially as a fullback, like it's kind of like Cam Newton, except. Josh Allen actually has the weapons to pass the ball as well. But the the Patriots were doing that as well. They were running QB power or they, they run routes with the idea that if the pocket starts to collapse, there's going to be a hole right up the middle and Cam Newton can take it. Uh, yep. Brian Dobble did a great job of that where they'll run three receivers off to the left and then one of the receivers on the right will run, will run the coverage off to the point where there's just a giant opening in the middle of the field. So it's like if Allen wants to run it, it's there. I was just looking at the, the guys who played cornerback, and I'm like, wait a second. I don't even recognize that yeah. name. Yep. <laughs> Nate Hairston had 16 snaps for us on defense. I'm like, who? Nate. Where did he pick this guy up? I think two weeks ago. He came off the Baltimore, he came off the Baltimore practice squad two weeks ago. So it's I mean, and again, like he hasn't played for the Fangio defense at all. Like that's the that's where we're at as it like if Michael Ojemedi yeah. gets ejected again or if Bosby gets hurt, or if Will Parks gets hurt, every other player coming in to play corner at this point, boundary corner at this point, has not played in the Fangio system basically at all. Like, I'm at a point where I think it makes more sense to slide either Kareem Jackson or Justin Simmons down and bring Trey Marshall in it, because at least he knows the system. He's been in it for two years. Um, yeah. And you could feasibly do that with Elijah Holder, but Elijah Holder, from everything I've seen of him, He's basically a nickel or a safety. I don't think you're going to want him playing on the boundary. So I think the best boundary option, if you have to go that way for a long-term type, like a whole game, would be one of the safeties. That's my yeah. guess. Well, he was, now, he was a boundary corner at Stanford, but yes. um, he's not – I was hoping he would turn into Richard Sherman, uh, but he he's not, <laughs> and he's never probably going to. Yeah. Um, he has similar size. Uh, to Sherman, but he doesn't have the same quickness. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, he had four snaps. Marshall had four. Uh, Tuska had four. Uh, Joseph Jones had two. Uh, so, you know, guys that, that haven't been playing uh, at all, really, on defense. Um, but, yeah, I was surprised that, that we gave, you know, 16 snaps, 22% of the snaps against Buffalo went to Nate Hairston. Mm -hmm. And my guess is that was completely in a, a situation where we had nobody else that could take the spot that Ojemudia was, was manning for us in that game. Mm -hmm. And that, and I mean, that was my fear going in was that the Broncos were at, again, they're at a tipping point with the secondary. There's just no one left. Yeah. So, um, 
kind of so kind of pivoting quickly to the other side of the ball. I thought it was every bit as bad as it looked during the broadcast. I'm not gonna lie. Like I I've gone over it twice. Uh, the running game, I really and again I'm I have a notes post that'll probably drop as you guys are listening to this, so you guys can kind of go over some of it more. I wrote about it more. Drew Locke, I thought. They did a good job of disguising coverage. Leslie Frazier and McDermott are good are good for this. They're zone coaches who do a lot of disguise. They run a lot of zone match. They base out of cover two. They use a lot of cover two. They'll mix their coverages. That's the kind of stuff Locke has had a lot of issues with, is trying to actually recognize the coverage and find somebody post-snap. That's like where the biggest issues kind of are cropping up. Um, and the problem with the Bills is they could do that, but they also still have enough talent in their front four to still get pressure. So what ends up happening, especially you have Elijah Wilkinson. And again, he played pretty okay for Elijah Wilkinson, but he just has issues with speed. That's just going to be a thing. Um, And that that cropped up. And the thing is, the Bills did enough to keep the Broncos from being able to lean on their play-action game. So Drew Locke actually had to play quarterback in this game and drop back passing situations without play-action or motion or boot action. Like any of the stuff that's been helping him the last couple weeks. And he struggled with it again and again against a good defense. So, like, I'm not trying to hate on him, but it's yeah. Well, it's, and it's, it's just, one of those things where we, we basically the reason he was so successful against Carolina is we gave him the training wheels offense. Yes. Okay. It was it was a bunch of play action, half field reads, um, get him out of the pocket, allow him to only have to make you know he has all three receivers in front of him. You know the the, the standard Shanahan three level route yep. where you're you know running the naked boot. Yep. Um. And that's, that's, you know, high school quarterbacks can run that uh, easily. And so, you know, when when you do that against a a crappy defense, you can succeed very well doing that. But Mm -hmm. um, if the running game is getting shut down and, and again, I haven't gone through, I haven't been able to bring myself to rewatch that game. I turned it off in the third quarter and was just like, I'm done. Um, You might be better off. So I'm again, I, Saturday was a terrible day for me football wise because I'm an Irish fan. Yeah. And a Broncos fan. And both of my teams were playing at the same time and both of them got their asses handed to them. So you had nowhere to So turn. I you know, I basically I, I turned off I, I I literally went to the recording because I was recording the Irish game while I was watching the Broncos. I went into the recording and deleted it before it was even done recording. Because my daughter accidentally told me the score in the fourth quarter. Oh no! Uh, and then, and then I turned the Broncos game off and went out into my shop and made sawdust. So, um, but uh, yeah, it, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just it from from and again, this was just from watching the game real time. It seemed to me like Buffalo was stacking the box, mm-hmm. basically doing what they could to shut the run game down. Mm-hmm. And they have the defense to be able to do that, whereas Carolina really didn't. Yes. So we were in a lot of third and long situations where Drew Locke is going to struggle because he has to hold the ball longer. And generally, he was going to have to make more of a read. And doing things like the play action weren't going to help. I mean, one of the, the things that stuck out to me, and I commented in our staff chat, we had third and eight um, near the goal line, and we were in the red zone. A third and eight, right? That's standard passing situation. We handed it off to Gordon, and he got a touchdown. And, and I, I like, gotta, I gotta, men- I gotta mention on that because you're right. The Broncos have actually been doing that a little bit here and there for the last four games. Because I, I, after seeing that, 
when I went back through the game a couple times, I tried to actually separate how did how so how did the Broncos help lock the last three games and why wasn't it working this game? Like that's what I tried to kind of separate. And one of the things I really kind of zeroed in on is again, the training wheel stuff was a big part of it. But the other thing is the Broncos coaching staff, Shermer, you know, like everybody did a really great job keeping Drew Locke out of must pass situations. Um, And I qualified those as third and nine or higher. So what I noticed in those situations against against Miami, the Broncos faced seven plays of third and nine or longer. Drew Locke completed two passes on these. And again, these were great plays. One of them was the pass to KJ Hamler. One of them was a pass for 22 yards. And then he scrambled for 14 yards. That was the play. I called it a Josh Allen run at the time. The others was an interception on third and 10 an incomplete pass on third and nine, and then two Gordon runs. was a Gordon run near the end of the game for seven yards and a Gordon run for four yards on third and nine. Against Kansas City and Carolina, the Broncos only faced four four of those situations, third and nine or higher, the whole time. Drew Locke scrambled for eight yards on one of them, uh, completed two passes for six yards, and he took a kneel at the end of the Carolina game. Against, Hmm. Against Buffalo, they faced five of those situations. Drew Locke never completed a pass in those situations. He took a sack through three three misses, one of which, and I got to say this, one of which was the triple coverage play to Jerry Judy where I thought Drew Locke made the right decision. It just wasn't complete. Um, but then he scrambled for three yards on one of those. So, again, as a whole, Drew Locke is still struggling in those situations. Again, most quarterbacks ha- do have trouble with those situations. But the numbers there do continue to show that Drew Locke is struggling in situations where he has to play quarterback, like actual quarterback. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and the one thing I want to highlight here before we move on to kind of like what, what I want to talk about, uh, Drew Locke didn't have any interceptions in this game, but he should have had two. And I, I know like from a box score count, like he didn't have them, so he didn't have them. But from a like evaluation standpoint, you're watching the plays happen. Both of those plays are jarring enough that we have to we have to count them. In my head, I have to count them. Both of them were throws out routes, basically where a cornerback jumped the route, and in both situations, they should have been pick sixes. Like that game could have easily been a fifty a fifty burger. Like that could have been awful. Oh so, yeah. So I just I, I got to say that. Um, and again, I'm not damning Locke. I went into this game saying Buffalo is the best defense they'll. Locke probably will play all year. Like, because he missed the Pittsburgh game. He missed the Buccaneers game. He missed the New Orleans Saints game. Buffalo is probably the best defense he he will have played this year because they got healthy at the right time. So even the numbers aren't completely caught up to how good they are yet. So, like, keep that in mind. Don't run them out of town based on this Buffalo game. But, but all the talk about all the progress Locke has made, we have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and kind of see what he does over these last two games. Because, again... The Chargers are and the Ra- uh, the Raiders are teams that he has now faced twice already. They're not strong defenses, so like they have the book on Locke, but Locke also has the book on them. So like these are great games for evaluation to really understand how far has he really come since the first time he played the Chargers. Yeah, yeah. I just I just dug up our third and, and long, so third and nine or or more this season. We've had forty three plays. Um, 
and we've uh, passed on 33 and run on 10 of them, uh, which is surprising. You know, you figure that uh, that ratio um, is uh, is probably going to be high if we were to run this for the rest of the league. Yeah, yeah that's really high. Yeah. But that's – I mean, that's the Bron- the Broncos coaching staff. And again, I, I've said this a few times, and I know it sounds really like it sounds really mean kind of, but the Broncos coaching staff is trying to protect them. It's trying to protect Locke from himself. Yeah. So, but that said, Locke did just finish his 16th start. And granted, we have to keep in mind the Pittsburgh game was really, really abbreviated because of injury. But even still, he started that game. We saw him play some snaps against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. So again, if you really want to pick nits and like we count this coming week, we can do that. I'm not because this is again, this is the third time he'll have faced the Chargers. So tell us what like what we did this week. Because you I mean, you did all the work. Uh what I did is I looked at every quarterback uh who has started a minimum of forty eight games this century at, uh in the NFL. And uh, I looked at their um, their first block of 16 starts, their second block of 16 starts, and their third block of 16 starts to try and see if there's any, uh, you know, truth or any numbers behind this myth that, you know, there's this, there's this mythical break point at which a quarterback gets it. Um, now, some people like to talk about that being an amount of time in the league uh, so I've heard people say that, you know, it happens after your second season in the league that you make this this big jump. And whether that's, you know, second season as a starter or just second season in the league, you'll still see the jump. But at least from looking at this data, um, it, it really didn't look like the uh, the, the jump. Well, it, it wasn't as dramatic as they make it, made it out to be. Um, so, you know, when I, when I boiled it down to, uh, what the averages were for these uh, guys. And there were 57 quarterbacks who have started uh, 48 or more games in the NFL this century. Um, now, there are a couple of guys who, um, like Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes, who aren't on the list yet because they haven't gotten to 48 starts at this point. Uh, so you know, it'll be interesting to see where they plot or if I do put them on there um, post de facto. But they, they're, they're not on here. And I did mention on Twitter – that Patrick Mahomes would basically break the chart that I threw up because he's going to be just off the scale. Um, but uh, if, you, if you look at these guys, their passer rating in their first 16 starts, the average comes out to an 81.4. And that's about where Drew Locke is right now after his first 16 starts. I think he's at a 79.8. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's pretty close to being an average quarterback, at least from passer rating. Um in his first 16 starts based upon quarterbacks this century, at least guys who have lasted three years. And so are, are you know, the equivalent of three NFL seasons. And so one thing I looked at is the first 16, because again, the sample is much bigger for the first 16 games. I think it's about a hundred players. Um, yeah. It's 104, I think, or 108. And, Hang on. and of those, and of those, uh, Drew Locke is right about 50. I think he's at 52. So he is. It's like he is right in the middle as far as passer rating goes. Yep, fifty-two of one hundred and four. Yeah. Um, so if you know you look at passer rating, and I think also in terms of completion percentage, 
Uh, he's not that far off um, what the average is. And, and again, you know, we have to take these with a grain of salt because all of these numbers are, are going up year over year. Yep. So if you're looking at guys back in year 2000, um, uh, you know, a 59% completion percentage wasn't too bad back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas right now in the year 2020, um, that's well below average for an NFL quarterback. Uh, and, you know, if you, if you dig into my, my Twitter history, you can see where I post, uh, you know, the progression of quarterback play just getting better and better year over year in the NFL. Uh, and I show this by completion percentage. I show this by uh, passer rating. And I also show this by uh, touchdown to interception ratio. Um, so, you know, but that's, that's a good segue to the touchdown to interception ratio, which is the one thing where Drew Locke is actually significantly worse than the average for all these, you know, guys that made it to 48 starts. Mm-hmm. Um, they averaged in their first 16 a TD interception ratio of 1.55. Drew Locke's at 1.31. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think right now, the last time I looked at it, league average right now, and this is average in the NFL, is at 2.1. Oh. Yeah. So it locks at 1.3 in his first 16. It gives you an idea why, and he's no longer, but at one point he was literally the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has since left, leapfrogged um, Stan Darnold. But, uh, you know, and, and it looks like based upon, you know, how he played, um, as Tim phrases it, how he turtled uh, on Saturday. Uh, that you know he's not going to do anything stupid, maybe, <laughs> because a couple of those throws, like you pointed out earlier, that were basically interceptions if the court, the cornerback hangs onto it, and one of them was going to be a pick six. Um, yeah, I mean, if he makes those kind of decisions again, uh, he could literally end up at the end of the season after the next two games as the worst starting quarterback in the league. And that is particularly a- with, with when. Um, essentially being done in Philadelphia because, mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that was one of the other guys down there with him at the bottom. Um, you had Darnold and Wentz uh, in terms of, uh, of um, passer rating uh, after the first 12 games. Uh, and, uh, you know, Locke has, has improved enough um, with good play against Carolina and with luck essentially against, Buffalo, where he didn't get two picks, because uh, if he throws two picks against Buffalo, he he may very well be back in the in the the basement. Mm-hmm. And so, but, uh, one of the things I really wanted to do with this data is try to I try to find players that I I think because again I've watched most of these guys because I'm I it was actually kind of wild to see some of these guys because it's like oh yeah I remember watching Rex Grossman he was pretty bad, um, but I. <laughs> I went back and I tried to find players that either statistically or I thought stylistically were pretty close to Locke or from their situation. So what I tried to look for was uh, passer rating, uh, completion percentage. Uh, I, I kind of tried to keep like the touchdown interception numbers in mind. And I also tried to keep their draft pedigree in mind because, again, Drew Locke was a second-round pick. Um, and I know like a lot of people will try and say – like, and a lot of people have told me, Yes, the Broncos tried to trade up for him, but they didn't, and he still was there when they took him in the second round. So that means every other team in the NFL had a chance at him. 
So it's it's in that way, he's quite similar to a guy like, say, Andy Dalton or a guy like Dak Prescott. Um, so, like, those guys at that point, they were kind of looking at them. What's that? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I say there, there were a few teams that actually passed on on Drew Locke multiple times. Yes. You know, they had they had two chances to draft him because yep. we got him at what forty two. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so. Well, I was just gonna say. So here here are a couple of the guys that really jumped out to me as comparisons. Um, and it's worth noting none of the players were perfect, like perfect fits. Uh. But I thought Rex Grossman probably came the closest. He was less accurate. Um, he completed 55.8% of his passes. He won more over his first 16 starts. But outside of that, his his 16 start numbers are almost identical. Uh, he had 3,300 yards, 21 touchdowns, 16 picks, 21 sacks. It's worth noting that Grossman's yard per attempt was higher, but it actually makes sense because back when he was playing, it was before the air raid concepts like mesh, stuff like that really became prevalent in the NFL. So it was harder to complete passes and quarterbacks were more likely to throw downfield, especially a guy like Grossman. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's worth noting, and there's actually two parts to this. One, Grossman took four years to get 16 starts because he was so injury plagued early on. Um, he was actually a first round pick, but he, he only had seven starts in his first three seasons because of injuries. Um, and it's also worth noting that after his one season as a starter with the Bears lost the Super Bowl, he never became a full-time starter again. Uh, he had he had 13 starts for Washington in 2011. But that was that was literally that was it. That was the last um, his last hurrah and he was not very good. Uh, I, he 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 you know completed 57.9% of his throws. Um 16 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. Yeah. So, you know, put that in perspective, that was only, you know, 10 seasons ago. Uh, and to be to be in the uh, more more interceptions than touchdowns is is a recipe for get, running yourself right out of the league. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was a backup for Washington in 2012 because it, it shows him on the roster, but he didn't take a snap. I, I think that was the year that he was the number QB3 behind Kirk Cousins and uh, RG3. And then he just yep. didn't play because RG3 played every game. Um, the other thing that stood out to me about this, and this is one of those things where the comparison between – this is actually what caught Grossman in my mind, was Grossman had 21 sacks. Drew Locke across his first 16 starts only has 20 sacks. And, again, part of that is the Pittsburgh game. Like, obviously, he missed Pittsburgh. He would have probably taken some sacks in that game. But even then, there's only four other quarterbacks who have sat, like a sack rate that low across their first 16 starts. So like for all, how much we like kind of criticize the Broncos offensive line, their protection and, and again, sacks are a QB stat. Locke has done a pretty good job keeping himself safe in that regard. Yeah. What's crazy. I just looked at the guy who has the, uh, of this, you know, 57 quarterbacks who had the fewest sacks in their first 16 starts. And I was really surprised to see it's Joey Harrington. Yep. Yep. 11, he was only stacked 11 times in his first 16 starts. Mm-hmm. That That's just, and, and still only had a passer rating of 61.9. Mm-hmm. That just boggles the mind. I, I, wow. <laughs> Completed 50% of his passes, too. It was, yeah. So, but, uh, but so, so I thought Grossman, in terms of statistically, 
look pretty good. And then again, stylistically, they're both kind of like long bomber types. They're willing to put the ball in harm's way, but they also, again, like when it works, like they're creating chunk plays. Like, so in that way, I thought Grossman's actually a really good comparison. Um, the fact that his starts, like his first 16 starts is spread out over four years. I thought it's kind of, that kind of hurts, but like at the same time, I, I do think that's one kind of worth keeping in mind. The other two that I thought, and these are kind of more optimistic, both of these two stood out as really close. Uh, Andy Dalton and Derek Carr are both second round picks. They started really early on. Actually, both of them were day one starters, whereas Locke was a rookie starter. I would have thought, I think Locke would have started earlier if he hadn't gotten hurt. So like that's a discussion for another day. But but Andy Dalton threw 20 touchdowns to 13 picks, took 24 sacks, slightly less accurate, but he won more, had a better passer rating. Derek Carr's rookie numbers were pretty shaky in terms of wins, but like other than that, he was okay-ish. Um, but the big thing with both of those two that I really took notice of, both of them improved in year two. And, 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 when, and when I say year two, in their second 16 starts, they made noticeable improvements. Derek Carr made a big jump. Um, Andy Dalton jumped his, both his completion percentage and his passer rating by, I think it was between 4 and 7%. Um, or four, four points in each uh, for each of those. But then I thought Derek Carr just made a huge jump like across the board. And he's again, Derek Carr is now limited. He has limits, but he's a pretty good quarterback. Um, so like there is reason for optimism given where Locke is right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Dalton started all 16 games, uh, in actually his first three seasons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's one of those guys where uh, it's actually the same thing with Carr. Both of them, you know, they had their first 48 starts in their first three seasons. So, you know, if you wanted a guy, a case study for somebody who started day one, was low drafted, um, and, you know, had off season and then season, off season, then season, off season, then season, um, to see what that did for their progression, uh, you know, it's it, yeah, yeah, and, and and Dalton Dalton made a, a pretty significant jump. Um, like you said, it was a four percent jump in, in absolute percent jump in completion percentage. He went from fifty eight point one percent to sixty two point three percent, and his uh, TD interception ratio uh, went from about where Drew Locke is right now. So Dalton in his rookie season had twenty touchdown passes, thirteen picks. Uh, in his um, second season, he was 27 and 16. So not not a huge jump over it, but, you know, a, a, a gradual improvement there. Um, and his passer rating uh, went up from 80.4 to 87.4. Hmm. And what was interesting with Dalton is he kind of um, – he basically reached a plateau at that point. Because mm-hmm. uh, his third season, he went up from – in terms of passer rating – from 87.4 to 88.8. Uh, and then he dropped back down to 83.5 in his fourth season. He had his career year in 2015 where he was at 106. Um, I think that was the year that he got uh, – he actually got hurt. That was the, the year that we played – when we played Cincinnati, they uh, had McCarron starting against us. Yep. Um, but uh, he led the Bengals to a 10-3 and record uh, when he was starting for them that, that season. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he basically has never come close to matching what he did in 2015. 
Uh, he basically has regressed or at least come back down to where he plateaued at, which is something somewhere in the, in the high 80s as far as passer rating uh, and occasionally uh, one season in the low 90s. Um, so, you know, maybe that's – is that uh, uh, Drew Locke's ceiling? I don't know. Uh, enough about Andy Dalton in terms of his game, his arm, his ability to read offenses, read offenses, read defenses um, – to uh, determine, you know, if there's any good comparison from a, a the way they play perspective. Um, I know, you know, Locke's probably got a better arm than Derek Carr. Yeah. Um, I, that uh, he gets by with uh, knowing where – he's more like a, a ribbon that he knows where to throw um, and, and when to throw it and when not to throw it in, in a lot of instances. Uh, so far, um, he made a similar jump in completion percentage from year one to year two, uh, or, you know, his first block to his second block. Um, but the, the big jump for him in his second season came in his touchdown to interception ratio. And that's what really made the big difference in his, um, uh, his passer rating too. So he went from a passer rating of 76.6 to 91.1 uh, in his second season. Um, and that was mainly because he essentially threw the same number of interceptions in his second season that he did in his rookie season. It went from 12 to 13, uh, but he threw 32 touchdown passes. So uh, 11 more touchdown passes in his second season and made the Pro Bowl uh, in 2015 um, relative to his rookie season. Uh, and then, uh, the, you know, as far as passer rating is concerned, he made another a decent jump uh, into his third season. Uh, where he had a passer rating of 96.7. Um, and again, that was largely on the back of a, 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 an increase in completion percentage. So he was at 58.1 as a rookie, 61.1 in his second season, and 63.8 in his third season. Um, so, you know, a gradual improvement year over year. Uh, and then, but in his third season, he, he really, you know, hit it out of the ballpark as far as his touchdown interception ratio. Uh, he was uh, better than four to one that season. TD interception, he had twenty-eight touchdowns and six picks. Um, so uh, you know, and then uh, he regressed a little bit in twenty seventeen, um, and then uh, he's he's actually, and I guess this would be the influence of of Chucky, right? Because Chucky took over in twenty eighteen. Mm -hmm. um, in twenty eighteen, he goes from being a, a low sixties completion percentage guy. To uh, to be in a, a high 60s, he's 68.9 in 2018, 70.4 percent completions in 2019, and then 68.1 so far this season. Um, so you know a, a quantum leap in his completion percentage um, that that I guess we can chalk up to you know to offensive system change or or maybe stability. Who knows? But um, either way, uh, you know, it, it, again, if, if we see that kind of improvement in his second 16 starts from Drew Locke, I would be over the moon. Same. Right? Because, you know, with, with both guys, really, with Dalton and with Carr, um, they went from being, you know, near the bottom. Um, and, again, neither one of them showed up on my, uh, <laughs> my rogues gallery of the worst starting quarterback in the league. Um, with the caveat of, of actually Dalton showed up there last year. But. That's neither here nor there because that was, you know, when he was towards the end of his 
uh, run in Cincinnati and being run out of town and probably hurt. But uh, at any rate, um, they both went from being, you know, bottom third quarterbacks mm-hmm. uh, to being at least average or better um, in their second season, in their mm-hmm. second block. 16 stars. I, I think I would, I would say like both of them became, went from being quarterbacks you can win in spite of to quarterbacks you can win with. Uh, and I think that's kind of what I'm hoping for with Locke. I don't know if he's ever, I, I think he's always going to put the ball in harm's way some just because I think he's, his mentality of trying to go for the big play and he's willing to rip it into coverage to do so is going to lead to big plays going for both teams. Sometimes it'll go in your favor. Sometimes it won't. Yeah. So like in that way, I think he's different than Dalton and Carr. But at the same time, like I'm not ruling out like a, a second 16 jump from him because again, both of those guys made jumps. Like it is possible that these next two games and then the return of Cortland Sutton next year and a healthier offense around him, Juwan James at right tackle for the whole time. Maybe, you know, fingers crossed. He could make a jump. Like it is possible. Yeah. A real off season. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to look at because, um, you know, people have been talking about whether or not to bring Shermer back. And yeah. there's a lot yeah. of people saying, well, just, just from a stability standpoint, we should bring Shermer back because Drew Locke has never had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to go in and look at, uh, at, at Carr and Dalton to see whether or not they had the same offensive coordinator um, in their first block of 16 starts in the, to their second mm-hmm. and Dalton did. So Jay Gruden um, was the OC in Cincinnati in 2011 and 2012 with Andy mm-hmm. Dalton. Uh, whereas Carr really went from um, Greg Olson as his offensive coordinator in 2014 with the Raiders to Bill Musgrave mm-hmm. as his offensive coordinator in 2015 with the Raiders. So um, he did, he made that jump despite Changing offensive coordinators um, from his uh, his his first block of sixteen to his second block of sixteen starts, which in his case happened to be his uh, his rookie season and his second season in the NFL. Um, and, and I think it's worth noting. Yeah, that was the other thing that um, you know, just looking at the numbers after the game, the one thing that 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 struck me was that uh, it looked like you know almost like. Drew Locke had been neutered, if you will, um, you know, that we, everybody was praising him for being able to take the short throws and uh, to go to the check down. And, you know, instead of throwing to the tight end 20 yards down the field, throwing to the open tight end five yards down the field when you only need six yards for a first down. Um, and we were praising him for that after Carolina. And it's almost like uh, he, he fell in love with that because of the, you know, the limited yardage gained and the fact that we weren't throwing to the wide receivers. And I don't know if that's just the, the narrative that somebody was trying to spin or the way that the numbers just made me feel. Um, but, you know, I remember listening to the broadcast and Stink called it out a couple there, you know, hey, he's not throwing to the wide receivers at all. Everything's to the running backs and the tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, know, you got to wonder, okay, is that, is that because he's progressed and grown? and is taking what the defense is giving him or is that because he's you know he liked the praise he got for being you know playing it safer um when he needed to and uh and and is is erring too far or going too far towards that uh 
uh, in that spectrum towards, you know, not taking every safe throw and, and becoming captain checkdown like Kyle Orton was. Where, you know, yeah, that's great. You completed a pass for four yards on third and seven, and now we have to punt. Your completion percentage looks great, but we're still punting the ball. Um, so. And that's, well, and that's one of the reasons why I really actually liked the triple coverage throw to Judy. Because again, like at the time it happened, a lot of people were like, oh no, he threw it a triple coverage. You can't, you can't do that. But it's like, I, and I went back over the play a couple times. There, there was an underneath receiver KJ. So what happened is Jerry Judy broke inside. And what ended up happening is the, the bills slot corner because Judy broke inside went with KJ Hamler on a chip and release type of route. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what ended up happening is as it became obvious that Jerry Judy was the actual threat, the slot corner started to slide off of Hamler. So Hamler was wide open underneath, but he would have had a heck of a time trying to get the first down. But it made for a harder throw to Judy, and Locke tried for the throw to Judy. And again, to his credit, Judy could have caught that. Uh, granted, he would have probably had his head taken off for it, but he could yeah, have he caught it. he would have got it. lit up. Yeah. And that's why he dropped it. But. And that's why he dropped it. And again, like I don't blame him for dropping it because, again, I don't really want to get decapitated by three people to catch a ball either. But I'm saying Locke put the ball where it had to be for that play. Yeah. For, for yeah, me, so. for me, what that comes back to, and this is an issue I have as an overall thing, and this is something I'm, I'm hoping to see improve over these last two games. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I spoke with PFF Seth Galina, and he brought up that the Broncos are one of the, the – the Broncos run horizontal leading routes less than just about anybody. I think they were 24th in the league, which means they run a lot of static routes. So, and again, that's what that route became is Judy broke open past the sticks and then curled and turned back towards Locke, which is great because it's essentially a, uh, essentially Jerry Judy became a, a, a garbage can that you throw a ball into down the field. The problem with that is he's not gaining separation anymore. He's stopping and just getting open. And granted, he's open for a short amount of time, but if you don't throw that ball as he's getting open, everyone's going to cl- like close in on it, and that's what happened. And that's what happens to a lot of the plays with the receivers right now. Uh, with a Tim Patrick, that's fine because Tim Patrick's six foot four; he's going to win bully ball anyway. But when you have a KJ Hamler or Jerry Judy, both of which are smaller guys, their games are built on creating separation in the route running and then catching the ball on the move. You're not taking advantage of that right now. And you yeah. can either blame Shermer, you can blame Locke, you can blame a combination of the two, but it is happening. And that's an yeah, issue. I have mean, you, have to, you have to throw open. You, yeah. you run different routes for them versus Tim Patrick and Corbin Sutton. And, Corbin and right Sutton now, and Tim happening. Patrick are both guys. Yeah, you can throw the 50-50 ball, um, or you can, you know, you can basically just throw a go route down the sideline and yeah, hope your your guy comes down with it because both the both Sutton and Patrick are pretty good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to do that with Hamlin because at five eight or five nine or whatever he is, most corners have a height advantage on him, and you know he's not going to be able to outfight them for the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy can, and he did show that he did that on his first touchdown grab, uh, where he basically took it away from the defender. Um, but uh, you know, again, I, it's it. <laughs> It's not something that uh, that we have the receivers now to rely on, um, particularly in, in a situation where Tim Patrick's out, right? And where you've got Deshaun Hamilton, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, and Tyree Cleveland, 
And, you know, of those guys, probably the most physical of them, as far as, you know, fighting for a contested catch is probably Tyree Cleveland. Um, so. And, and I, and I mean, I, and I like the pro the problem with like a Judy in that situation. Cause again, we saw in the New York game that Judy can go up and win a goal ball, but the problem mm-hmm. for Judy is again, it's just, it doesn't play into his strengths. And, but the problem is, and this is, again, this came up when I was talking to Seth Kalina. Locke is last in the league on horizontal leading throws. Like he, and again, this is a couple weeks ago. So against Carolina, he may have bumped up from last, but going into the chiefs game or no, going into the saints game before he was knocked out of the saints game, Drew Locke was the worst quarterback in football at throwing things like mesh crossers, stuff like that. And, and again, that's troubling if only because that's the strengths of your receiving core for the most part right now. And also those are some of the easiest concepts to complete to keep your offense on track. And that's why I thought the Carolina game was really encouraging because I thought he was looking a little bit better on that stuff. And that's one of those things that Buffalo is definitely a step back in that direction. It's something I'm looking forward to going forward because he needs to improve at that or the Broncos offense. It's going to have trouble with zone coverage. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, I mean it's you know we need him to to turn into more of a um, throw the receiver open as opposed to a see it throw at quarterback. Yeah. Um, you know because Tim Tebow could hit a guy if he was open, uh, mm-hmm. but you know don't ask him to throw a a five yard out because it's going to end up killing a groundhog. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know it's you you work with the quarterback you've got, and right now we've got a quarterback who is not a guy who's going to, who's going to be able to drive down the field by throwing, you know, quick slants the whole way down. Mm-hmm. Whereas an accurate guy like a Derek Carr or, or a Peyton Manning for that matter, Manning could literally run an entire drive, just throwing slant to the slot guy and then slant to the, the, the wide, the wide receiver or, or the, um, the, the boundary receiver, you know, and, and basically go down the entire field with quick routes because he'd step up to the line He'd know exactly where the weakest link was as far as the defensive, you know, the coverage guys, and say, "All right." He he knew that all of his receivers, if he audibled to a quick slant or a or a you know a five yard out, uh, he knew that the receivers were going to get that audible because if they didn't, um, I forget who the guy was. He was a receiver we had for a couple of years, and, and oh, Caldwell. Basically, what what? The, the guy who came in but never played, Andre Caldwell. Not Caldwell, no. Uh, yeah, Caldwell, that's it. Because there was a game, it was against San Diego. And Caldwell, he audibled, and Caldwell ran the wrong route. Manning threw a pick six, yep. and Manning was livid. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was lighting him up on the sidelines, basically you know, saying that um, you don't do that. He says, you're not going to play. If, if you don't know what the audibles are, your ass is going to sit. Because I'll put somebody in there who at least, I don't care if they can get any separation, I'll get them the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we, we want Drew Locke to be able to do that. And right now he's not that guy. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, we, we've got, he's, he's worked well with the training wheels offense, but you're not going to be able to do that against a, a, an average or better defense. Well, and, and, you know, I pointed this out a couple of weeks ago when we were in the staff chat, Drew Locke has yet to have even a decent game against a good defense. Yeah. What was scary is I went back and the last time the Broncos, any Broncos quarterback, had a good game against a top 10 defense 
was Trevor Simeon yeah. in 2016. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I would like, because I, I look beyond, I like I look at the numbers and I, I try and look at the tape and I try and marry it in my head as much as I can. I thought Detroit, Houston, and the Carolina game are Locke's three best games start to finish, like in terms of overall performance. Um, again, none of those three were good defenses when they played Locke. Um, I like, again, Carolina had five rookies play 30 plus snaps. Detroit was a dumpster fire last year. Houston didn't have JJ Watt. I don't think they had re I think they might've had reader, but they didn't have any corners and they didn't have any tape on lock going in. So again, and I'm not trying to knock, I'm not trying to knock locks achievements down, but I'm just saying like, we have to keep that kind of stuff in mind. Um, and again, this is one of those reasons why I think these next two games is so critical because, and again, we, you and I try to dissect this all day. Quarterbacks typically will make a jump in their 16th. If, if, if a quarterback is going to make a jump and start to really show some sort of progress, you're going to start to see signs of it. in that 16, the second 16 starts, um, not every quarterback, but most of them start to show some signs of improvement. Yeah, we need yeah. to. So, you know, to and it needs to start. And that's where those averages come in, right? You know, you, you look at the averages, um, completion percentage. Essentially, they're averaging a a, a two percent absolute jump in completion percentage. Uh, well, one point eight percent, but uh, you know, passer rating. You're going from an eighty one point four on average to an eighty five in, in that second block of sixteen. And TD interception. You're going from uh, essentially 1.6 up to 1.8. So, you know, yeah, improvements, right? And and that's, that's on average. Some guys make bigger jumps. Some guys regress. But so that um, that, that is that is a concern of mine too. And again, this is – I'm just thinking out loud as I say this, so I apologize. But, but that's one of my concerns is like where Locke is at right now, a 1.8 jump in completion percentage, he's still an inaccurate passer overall. Right. So I, I'm just like, that's, it, it, it comes back to something. Uh, Tim Lynch actually mentioned this in an article this morning is that his fear is like, what is patience going to buy you with Drew Locke? And again, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to hate on him. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. Is he going to progress from where he's at right now to being a, like a top 10 type of quarterback? I know some people, some people see the arm talent. Some people see the best throws and they say, yes. And again, Josh Allen did it, so I'm not going to say it can't happen, but I want to say that Josh Allen is an outlier. Like, most quarterbacks don't make a 10% jump in their completion percentage in year three. Like, that just doesn't happen. Um, So, where you start does matter. And the one kind of caveat there with Locke to kind of keep in mind is maybe this season was so weird that, draw, that Locke will be an outlier but there's nothing in the numbers to really suggest that. Like we don't know that other than just kind of the, Hey, this offseason was garbage. He lost his best receiver. We're hoping that that's the case. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, three other guys. So I, I'm, I'm looking at that, uh, you know, really eye straining chart <laughs> that I sent you. Yeah. Um, three other guys that, that I called out when I, uh, you know, put the names on there um, to make it a little bit easier to read Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz, um, all you know, fairly recent guys who made pretty big jumps uh, from their first year to their second year, as far as our passer rating is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, you know, if we if we look at, you know, from a numbers perspective, um, oh, yeah. so Goff um, had a passer rating of 85.5 as a rookie. So even though he was wasn't very good, or not as rookie, 85.5 in his first 16 starts. Mm-hmm. Even though he wasn't great in his first 16 starts, he was better than Locke. Mm-hmm. Um, about the same in terms of completion percentage. Goff was at 58.4, but his touchdown to interception ratio was a 1.9 to one. Mm-hmm. So significantly better. better than Drew Locke. And then in his second block of 16 starts, and again, this is, you know, we're going from um, Jeff Fisher as his head coach to McVay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his second block of 16 starts, he jumps all the way to a 107.8 passer rating. Mm-hmm. His completion percentage goes up from 58.4 to 66.5. And his touchdown to interception ratio goes from 1.9 to 1 to 3.8 to 1. He literally doubled it um in his second block of 16 starts um so you know if we look at cousins it's a very similar situation his first 16 starts passer rating of 81 second 16 starts passer rating of 105 um td interception ratio in his first 16 literally one to one what's really goes up What's really interesting to me about both Goff and Cousins, too, is that they both had the Sean McVay and or Kyle Shanahan type of system where, and again, I only bring this up because I know right now, like football Twitter in general is like really in this big debate about Mitch Trubisky because Matt Nagy and uh, Laser, Bill Laser for the Bears have basically over the last three or four weeks have basically completely turned the Bill, the Bears offense into like a poor man's version of the McVay offense where very zone head or very zone run heavy, a lot of bootleg, a lot of, you know, play action training wheels. Like they tried to simplify the reads, get them on the move, give them layups is what they've tried to do as much as they possibly can. Um, and granted again, like it's not, it's apples to app. It's apples to oranges to a degree, maybe apples to pears. But, like, that's what the Miami game plan kind of was. That's what the KC game plan definitely was. It was run zone, run some power scheme stuff, and then run boot action off it or play action off as much as you can. Um, The Broncos offense in the Chiefs game ran either motion, shifts, play action, or, like, naked boots on every single passing play Locke had except for the two-minute offenses at the end of each half. Yeah. And and you got to wonder at what point does um, do opposing defensive coordinators get enough tape on you know that adjustment by your offense and figure out a way to shut it down right? We've been doing it since Miami, yeah, or since the Miami game, and you know now we're we're four games into it, and opposing defensive coordinators have basically said, all right, fine, we're gonna. We're going to do stuff that takes that away, forces you out of that. Well, make your quarterback do standard five-step drops or you know shotgun um, throws and and get him out of his comfort zone. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, you know, to to a certain extent, that's what Buffalo did. Yeah, um, those those pin and pull runs um, that were so successful against Miami. Uh, you know, at least from what I remember, we're doing squat against Buffalo. And and part of 
It, so what, where I get back to, and again, I don't have the answer for this yet. I know like I've had more and more people keep asking me, well, what's the answer then? What's the answer at quarterback? The Broncos are in a really, really tough situation because even with everything going wrong for them this year, they have a 0.1% chance at the a top five pick in the NFL draft for, per Football Outsiders playoff odds report. And I, I do keep up with that because that means statistically they almost definitely sure. will not get a real shot at a top quarterback prospect unless they trade up. And we can talk about if anybody is worth trading up a different time, but that means that either they have to trade up to get a quarterback if they're going to replace Locke, hope somebody falls and hope that that guy pans out, or go into the veteran market, or pray that Locke does make a jump into year like year quote unquote two. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So like it's, I don't have an easy solution for it. But I think we have to be honest, like with what we're seeing right now is Locke is a limited quarterback and he's, he's li- like, I think it would be very, very telling to go back and watch rookie Daniel Jones operating Pat Shermer's offense and then compare it to what we've seen from Locke these last three games, because I don't think they're the same. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I have to I have to correct myself or at least uh, apologize. Apparently we were running fairly well against Buffalo. I just looked at the stats. We, you know, we finished the game with 28 carries for 140 yards. Now, 37 of that came from Drew Locke. Yep. And Um, I, and I, and I broke it down by the backs. Um, so that was actually Philip Lindsay's best game since Miami. But outside of those two games, Philip Lindsay is basically averaging like 2.8 yards a carry or something insane. Um, and granted, the Buffalo game, Philip Lindsay's numbers in Buffalo look worse than they actually are in part because Lindsay was the one who got the ball three times at the end of the game. So they just gave him the ball just to let him run out the clock. And he got basically nothing. But for the whole game, he had eight carries for 33 yards, which it's respectable. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's honestly the last couple weeks, it's basically been Melvin Gordon kind of carrying the rushing offense. Yeah, well, and, and I don't know what it is, but whether it's the injury or what, but Lindsay just looks slow and indecisive right now um that he doesn't have the same burst he's not making the same decisions i, I remember reviewing the um I, I think it was the kansas city tape but um you know there were a couple of plays where i'm like man if he if he breaks to the right here there's an eight yard gain and he you know he just ends up diving under the offensive lineman and getting a yard and a half um and i'm like yeah you know he's he, he seemed to have very good vision last year uh, and and the year before. And he just, I don't know what's going on this year, but. Um, and, and this is, and again, and again, I made note of this. Uh, this is something I have to go back on and try and watch like kind of all of his run plays for like the last five, six games. But what in Buffalo, what I thought the Broncos own all of his carries outside of those end of game situations, every one of his eight carries came on either first and 10 or second and 10. Um, a lot of them, the Broncos were running into like either even or unfavorable box counts. So the bills had more defenders in the box and the Broncos had to block, or it was even where Bill Blinsey had to make somebody miss and then he was gone. So I think health, I think situational football, I think the fact that the Broncos basically have viewed Lindsay as a running down back and Gordon as not do it all back. I think, and again, this is a suspicion. I don't have the numbers for this yet. 
I'm sus- I suspect that that is hurting Lindsay's overall numbers at this point because defenses are keying on it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I, so let, like to, to move into like, kind of like next, like this coming game. Cause just because like, I, I kind of have to like start to look to the bright side, kind of get hope going again. Cause I like, I like, I get buried in this stuff. The good news is the Chargers rushing defense is pretty bad. Like the Broncos should be able to get the ground game moving this week. So that part is good. Um, last I checked, Joey Bosa looks like he's going to miss the game. Which is good because if you remember, the Broncos passing offense really took off after Bosa left the game in the first matchup. Because um, Joey Bosa is the kind of player, yep. he gives Garrett Bowles trouble. Like, as good as Garrett Bowles has been this year, Joey Bosa is his equal. and Or even his superior as far as, like, a counterpart. So, like, no Bosa is going to be Well, keeping. Joey Bosa pretty much gives everybody trouble. Yeah. <laughs> that's how, I mean, yeah. That, that's, you know. I don't know if you said that, 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 you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe there's a guy out there like Mitchell Swartz is to uh, to Von Miller, who seems to be his kryptonite. But uh, you know, it just seems like Bosa. Um, and, and again, I'm I'm not a Chargers fan, so I don't watch every game for Bosa. But I've been following him since college, and uh, he seems to be one of those guys that he's got enough combination of bend and strength and quickness that uh, you know there, there's not a whole lot that you can do as an offensive tackle to counter him. Yeah, because he's gonna take advantage of whatever you give him. Yep. Um. So beyond that, though, the number like looking at the Chargers stuff, they're really good against wide wide receiver ones. So like that's worth noting. They have you know they have the cornerbacks to probably give Judy trouble. Um. But basically down the board after that they struggle. They're really really bad at defending the middle of the field. They've been better in this last couple weeks because Kenneth Murray's kind of tra- started to figure it out but they're still not great at it. So again, this would be a great game for Drew Locke to show that he's improving at horizontal leading throws. Um, the Chargers are pretty good in short yardage situations on defense, but as a whole, they're pretty weak as a run defense. Yeah. So this would be a good week to uh, establish play action. Um, But so... And again, I know we have two more games, so I don't want to like kind of hold you to this and like, you know, hold this against you down the road. But as of right now, where are you kind of feeling the Broncos should go with quarterback? Like, do they, and again, like obviously Drew Locke is, and again, and again, I, I feel like this is almost flame fodder because again, like we had two more games, but it almost feels like his rookie season's over. Like, let's kind of like keep that, you know, that kind of thing. But like, I feel like if nothing else, with his injury history at this point, you have to bring in somebody. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, like a top tier rookie who's going to steal his job, but there's no way in my like between the risk of what his like what his downsides have been, combined with his injury risks, you have to have another viable option who can step in and actually start games. And I don't, again, and I I don't dislike Brett Rippon. But I don't know if Brett Rippon could start 16 games if, say, Drew Locke got hurt in training camp last next year. And I feel like you need to have a guy, yeah. if he has to start 16 games, he can. You know, I, I, I really like, and you and I talked about this earlier, I like sticking with Locke for next season, seeing if he does make that progression. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's shown to me he's shown enough growth at this point um that i don't want to just blow it up and start from scratch okay um that's fair and i'm I'm not a fan of of blowing a bunch of draft capital to trade up and get you know to get fields because there's no way we're getting lawrence yeah um but uh I, I like the idea of bringing in somebody like Gardner Minshew, particularly if I would, I would love to bring in Gardner Minshew. I'm not yeah, like, particularly if Jacksonville gets one of the two, you know, big names at quarterback. Because you know, right now they're what they're they've got the number one pick, right? They yeah they've uh, they've jumped the Jets because the Jets uh, unfortunately accidentally won a game last week. Sam Darnold uh, had a career game because he wants to stay in the Big Apple. Yeah. Uh, so I like getting Minshew because I think the price is going to be right. <laughs> I don't think we're going to have to give up much to get him. Um, and, you know, relative to going after somebody like Carson Wentz or, um, or Sam Darnold, uh, or, you know, one of the other, I guess, reclamation projects, if you will, like Josh Rosen, uh, one of the other guys who was a high draft pick at one point. Uh, relative to going after those guys, uh, Minshew hasn't been broken yet, <laughs> kind of like Josh Rosen was. So you don't have to build him back up. I think he's still the cocky SOB that beat us last season. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you need that mm-hmm. to be a quarterback in the NFL. And he's got that. Um, is he a guy that I think, you know, is going to has a higher ceiling than Drew Locke? Probably not. Um, but I think as far as the little things like we were talking about early in terms of earlier, in terms of throwing guys open, in terms of, you know, being able to get to the right read at the right time, uh, I think Minshew is ahead of Locke um, yeah, I in, in, in many of the, um, the non-physical aspects of playing quarterback. Um, and, and probably in some of the physical aspects, if you want to talk about, about you know, uh, his foot placement uh, or his footwork um, relative to Drew Locke, because Drew Locke still does the, you know, backpedaling, throw it off his, his back foot throws and can get away with it because he's got the arm talent. But I think because Minshew's arm is a little bit more limited, uh, he has to be more of a technician um, and can't get away with with back foot throws like that. Um, One thing I really like with Gardner Minshew, and again, I haven't studied him yet. So I, cause once this season's over, one of the things I, I plan to do because I have no life and we're in quarantine is <laughs> uh, I kind of want to like basically make a list of all the potential quarterbacks the Broncos could chase after kind of try and go back through some of their games and see like, how well I could project that fit into the Broncos system. And, but like, at least on the surface from what I've seen of Gardner Minshew on like broadcast and last year, I think there's reason to believe that his next start, like wherever he ends up after Jacksonville, he could be quite a bit better than what we saw in Jacksonville. Cause again, like that ecosystem that he's in, granted he has Jay Gruden this year, but like, they're a, I mean, there's a reason they're a top team for Trevor Lawrence. Like, they're bad. Like, they're really bad. Yeah. Um, and and I think again, like that kind of system, like that kind of situation, 
that hurts the quarterback. Like that, that drags you down. So like there, is, I feel like there is reason to believe that Minshew could end up being a really either a really great backup or a really low end starter who can win you games in a perfect environment. Um, and again, like that kind of guy, especially he was a day three pick. Jacksonville may be very, very cool. Just kind of getting rid of him for a day three pick in return. Like, whereas like a Sam Darnold, because he was a top pick, they're probably going to try and get a markup on him, like get a second rounder or a third rounder. And and Sam Darnold, he's having a historically bad year. Like I don't necessarily want to give it, get rid of a second round pick for a guy who maybe nothing more than Josh Rosen. Yeah, he, maybe he's broken now. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, just looking at Minshew, right, e- even as bad as Jacksonville has been over the past two seasons, Minshew has, has a 7-9 and nine record as a starter, mm-hmm. has completed 62.5% of his passes. So, again, not great and, and well below the average, but better than Locke. Mm-hmm. But where he really has shined, 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. That's a touchdown-interception ratio of 3.3 to 1. Compare yeah. that to Drew Locke, who after his first 16 starts was 1.3 to 1. So, and a passer rating for Minshew of 93. Um, but, you know, again, the average for all of the guys who've made it to 48 starts in their first 16 was a passer rating of 81. Yeah. And so Minshew's Min- there at 93. So Minshew's showing that he should get up to like he should get more starts. Like he's playing well enough, or he's played well enough to continue to get starts here and there, whether as a starter overall or to just continue to collect starts as a number one backup. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him doing something similar to Kirk Cousins, right? Yep. I, I don't know if he has the same kind of arm talent as Cousins, but you know, Cousins in his first sixteen starts was. Not great, and then he jumps up to in his second sixteen starts, which admittedly for Cousins was like in his fourth or fifth NFL season. Yeah, yep. Um, but you know he he got to a, a passer rating in his second sixteen starts of, of one hundred five. Um, so you know, yeah, and and maybe we're just pumping up somebody who's gonna who's gonna fail and and and, and has some kind of fatal flaw, but. Even if he does have the fatal flaw, like you said, he doesn't take much draft capital to get. Yep. Um, if any, right? He and, may be somebody that we can pry away pretty, like for you know, for a fourth round pick or something. And he'd be um, on a rookie contract for two more years, so he's cheap. Yeah. Yeah, because he was drafted Drew Lock, um, yep. and is not a first round, a sixth round pick. Um, he's a guy that uh, that you know. <laughs> Yeah, we have control of for a couple more years. And also because he's low drafted, I don't think he's going to be that threatening, if you will, to Drew Locke, right? You know, if you, if you bring in a Sam Darnold or a Carson Wentz, you know, a guy that was taken in the, in the top three or four picks of the draft, uh, even if they're a reclamation project, you're still basically saying we are hedging our bets with a serious hedge. Yep. Whereas Minshew, isn't going to be as threatening to lock because, you know, here's this guy that, yeah, he's played well, but the team, the franchise didn't have to invest much to get him. He got benched on a team that bottomed out for Lawrence. Like, you know, like, like logistically from a PR standpoint, you can say he's clearly a number two 
Like, and again, maybe he comes in and outshines Locke, but like at least on the surface from the offseason, bringing him in doesn't challenge Locke as a starter because he he got benched for two different players this year. So like, whereas a Darnold, and, and I agree with you, I think the same thing happens. Like if you bring in a Darnold, this is my fear. The upside is either Drew Locke or Sam Darnold makes a big jump and you have a starting quarterback that you have to pay in a year because both of them are coming up on contracts that end very, very quickly. Or what ends up happening is neither one of them really shine. They both get pulled for one another over the course of the year. The Broncos roster stays healthier than it did this year. And the Broncos still don't land in the top quarterback zone. The the end of the day is I, I think this coaching staff and the Broncos roster is too good to bottom out. Like they're bad. Like right now, like they're definitely not a good team right now. They're like with the way the cornerback situation is, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose these two games, even if Locke looks good, because it's going to be hard to stop people right now. But even, even if that happens, they need other teams to lose to land in the top like seven picks. And really, if you're not in the top seven, you're really not chasing quarterbacks unless something weird happens or it's a bad year for quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I can see a guy like Zach Wilson ended up in the top five. Same. Um, I think he he will. He played really well last night. And uh, I would not be surprised if we have another season where three or four of the top five picks end up being quarterbacks. With one of them being a head crasher with, you know, somebody, some team falling in love with, um, with the number four guy at quarterback and, uh, and moving up to get him because they're worried that he's going to get, you know, picked in with the 11th pick. Uh, So they'll trade up to get their guy. And we have, you know, a Blake Bortles type situation where teams are like, wait, Oh, Oh my God. You know, the top two guys are off the board. We want to make sure we get Bortles. So the, the Jags traded up to get him a third pick, um, which ended up being, you know, one of the things that is essentially put them where they are right now. but uh, one of the things, many things that put them where they are right now. Uh, but yeah, uh, and, and I guess the other side of it too is if we end up using using draft capital to get a reclamation project or using draft capital to, to move up, um, that we've, we've got holes on this team. I mean, it's, it's and the holes are going to be pretty big at cornerback next year. Because yes. I think Callahan's still under contract, but... At this point, can you count on him? Well, Tenny can play, and he's hitting thirty. Like both him, and, yeah. if they keep AJ Boy and Callahan, both of them are playing out the end of their contracts next year. I believe. I, I think Boye's contract expires. I know Callahan's does. Both of them are about thirty. And again, if you're keeping Kareem Jackson, it's the same thing. Kareem Jackson's, I think, going to be thirty-three. And he's playing out the last year of his deal. So. The secondary is at a point where even if you don't necessarily need to cut anybody or bench anybody, you should be bringing in a new player to groom to take over for down the road, or at the very least serve as depth because both AJ Boy, Bryce Callahan, and now Essang Bassey, they've all missed time due to injury in their career. Bryce Callahan has never played an entire 16 game schedule ever. Yeah. Yeah. So Boye. Boye is under contract for next season, but he's got a cap hit of thirteen point four million. Yep. Um, and uh, no dead money. Yep. Which is I think, got, I think with this extension, yeah, you know, and he's let's see what 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 is his current age? Um, I think over the cap doesn't show ages. 
but yeah, I, I would I would frankly be surprised if Boyer's back next season. Same. Um, so you know we're going to be looking at Callahan, who's never played a full season in the NFL and is on the wrong side of thirty. Um, Ojemudia, uh, who you know looks to be a, a decent third round cornerback after so many fails <laughs> with third round cornerbacks yeah. uh, in, re- in recent history for the Broncos. Um, and you know Bassey and a wing and a prayer. Um, so we're we're we, we really need to spend some serious draft capital at the cornerback position. I agree. And, and defensive back position, period. Um, because, uh, you know, it, it, we, let's say we lock up Simmons, and I hope we do. Um, but, yeah, Kareem Jackson is, is a year older. And, uh, you know, we haven't invested anything in, in defensive backs um, recently uh, outside of Ojemudia. Well, and that's, that's the – and, again, I can talk myself into and out of this with quarterbacks because, again, I – I'm impatient by nature. I'm, I'm the, and again, like I was talking to a friend earlier and I basically said the way I would approach Drew Locke right now is like, we're dating, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing other people as well. Like I'm keeping my options open. And then he, he responded and he was like, actually, dude, I wouldn't even say that. I would say I'm, I'm, I'm seeing like we, we went on a date. I'm kind of trying to figure out how much money to spend on this Christmas present because like, how serious am I? And that's kind of where I'm at. Cause it's like, I, I, I want to be optimistic, but at the same time, I'm also very aware of the fact that like the Broncos may not have another good chance at a quarterback. That's a top tight, like a top prospect. And so like, I'm aware of that, but at the same time, like outside of Justin Simmons and like Bradley Chubb, the Broncos don't have like a premier cornerstone defensive player right now. Like they have those two, yeah. like, like, I, and again, I'm not hating on Von Miller. I'm not hating on any of the other players, but like all of them are not in that age range that matches what the offense is going to be doing. So like, as the offense is hitting its prime right now, you have a couple players on defense and then maybe some prospects that might take a step up next year. We don't know yet. And then a lot of older guys. And again, on a rookie contract with Locke, or if you draft a guy, you can afford to have an expensive veteran defense to help you stay in games. But once you get to the point where you have to either pay Locke or you're you're starting to have to pay Cortland Sutton and all these other guys, you're not going to be able to afford the most expensive safety duo in football like the Broncos currently have with Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons. Like at that point, you're probably going to have Justin Simmons and someone cheaper next to him. Like just from yeah. a cap standpoint, you almost have to do that. Yeah, but I, I just went back and looked at, at you know guys that we've drafted, defensive backs that we've drafted 2016. Um, and, and after, so we had parks and Simmons in 2016, um, you know, both, you know, are, are turned out to be pretty good picks. Uh, it's hard to argue with either one, honestly, cause we got parks in the sixth round, mm-hmm. but you go to 2017, we got Langley in the third. Yep. Right. <laughs> that was that, a waste. Yeah. That 2018, was- we got Yadam in the third, another waste. Mm-hmm. 2019 didn't draft a single defensive back. 2020, we drafted Ojemudia in the third. So, you know, that's five drafts. And we had, you know, let's say Ojemudia is a hit, but that's still, that's three drafted defensive backs out of five drafts. Well, and the, and the big problem there is that in today's NFL, you have three starting corners. Yeah. Realist- realistically, 
you need three cornerbacks who can start. And if you're smart, you have probably five who can step in and play because with three starters, like against like the offensive line, it doesn't hurt to continuously add talent to the offensive line for depth because chances are some of them are going to see time. It's the same thing in the secondary. Like I think those two positions are both defined by their floor more than their ceiling and that the weakest link ends up hurting the whole unit. So you need to protect yourself. Man, are we just been terrible with defensive back drafts? Yeah. Cuz I went I went a year back to 2015. <laughs> Lorenzo Doss, Taron Nixon and Josh Furman. Mm-hmm. Um admittedly, we've got a fifth and two sevenths there. So, you know, not not much was expected of those guys, but we're if you're when if we you're the best day two picks in a in defensive backs, we're missing. And when we go late round in, with guys, we're we're not, you know, finding the occasional gym outside of maybe parks. And, and I don't know that anybody's going to call him a gym. Um, but, you know, you look at you know, 2014, we spent a first rounder on Roby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that means dating back to 2014. And that's if you're optimistic about Ojemudia, and I am right now. The Broncos essentially have two cornerbacks to show for all their draft capital spent on corners dating back to 2014. Yeah. Bradley Roby plays for the Texans now. But like, but even then, like you essentially have two starting caliber corners for six years of drafts. Yeah. And and one starting caliber safety or one Pro Bowl safety now in Justin Simmons. Yeah. Um, but still, that's you know, that that's a lot of swings and misses. Yeah. And again, uh, and again, some of it and again, I I I don't I don't like I don't hate on the fact that you swing and miss in the day three type range because like you're just gonna miss more than you're gonna hit there. But I do care about the fact that like they're not investing anything there, which ends up creating a situation where you have to pay a lot of money because cornerbacks, cornerback contracts have gone up around the league over these last six years quite a bit because the NFL has caught on to the fact, the market has caught on to the fact that you need three starters. So you have a guy like James Bradbury, who a lot of people thought was pretty iffy in Carolina. Granted, I liked him more than a lot of people, but he got the bank last year. I think he got $14 million or $13 million. He got a lot of money. And a lot of people thought he was overpaid and he stepped in and he's a starter and he's, but that's what the market's like now. An average starting cornerback in the NFL, once he hits free agency, if he can start on the boundary, he's making $10 million. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I'm looking at um, over the cap right now and, you know, some of their numbers are a little bit wonky, but in their average per year column, I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Nineteen cornerbacks in the NFL currently making ten million more, ten million or more per year. Which is one reason why you basically need to draft those guys because then at least you have but here's my thing, and that's and this is my argument with it as I've tried to look at the Broncos needs this year. Linebacker obviously could use an investment of talent, like an infusion of speed, like next to Alexander Johnson. Like Josie Jewell did get beat up quite a bit against Buffalo. Like there's no way around that. That said, linebacker, like you can find a decent starting caliber linebacker for not too much money on free in free agency if you have to, or you have a higher yeah. chance. Like the numbers have shown the difference between a first round linebacker and a third round linebacker isn't as big as the difference between most first round cornerbacks and third round cornerbacks. Like that's there's a noticeable gap. 
Yep. So like I like and again, I believe if the Broncos are not going to chase a quarterback this year, and I get I get if they don't if they don't chase a quarterback though, I feel like they almost have to prioritize cornerback. Like especially since tackle seems like it's solved for at least a year, unless they're going to try and groom somebody to replace Juwan James. I think cornerback is the biggest need for the Broncos in 2021. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree because I'm, I'm looking at what we've got coming back. And like I said, I don't think I don't think we bring Boye back. But even if we do, you know, he's he's coming off a of suspension for PEDs. He's on the wrong side of 30. Um, he didn't and, look good. Uh, he and didn't. He's and he didn't look good. I'm like, yeah. and I don't. And again, I'm not trying to beat up on him, but like, he didn't look good. Like he. He had one good game across the time that he played for the Broncos this year. Like I am again, I, and I, again, maybe he steps in like he, he didn't have an off season, all that stuff too. And he got hurt all that, but like you're paying him enough money that like, that is a big deal that he didn't look at like Drell Casey, Drell Casey, even when he was hurt. And even though he played very little bit, I'd be willing to bring him back on this, on the fact that like he has enough of on his resume to suggest that he could step in next year and be really good. AJ Boye essentially yeah. hasn't been now. He's he's the 12th highest paid cornerback in the NFL currently. Yeah. And he's definitely not pay, playing the 12th best at, as uh, you know of, of quarterbacks currently in the NFL. No. Um he had what uh he played 7 games for us this year so about half the season in total because of his injury. Uh and you know looking at his advanced um uh, defense so the passer rating when cornerback, when opposing QBs targeted him, they had a passer rating of 108.4 for this yeah. season. Um, Doesn't surprise me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. That's, um, bad. That's, that's about, that's where Chris Harris was last year when we let him walk. Yeah. So. So I think, I think cornerback is, yeah. If it's not quarterback, I hope it's corner. Is like at, at this point of me, like I haven't, again, I haven't done a very good job of keeping up with all the prospects yet. So like that could change, but where I'm at right now. Yeah. I feel like it's either, if they're not going to go quarterback, they have to go corner. I agree. So, Well, Hey, thanks for coming on. I, I again, yeah, sorry, sorry everybody. If this is not like, I don't mean for this to be doom and gloom. Like I, I, I do think there's a lot of things that have gone right. But as we're kind of closing in, the Broncos are clearly out of playoff contention. We're kind of starting to look for next year. Like we have two games to go and we're kind of like looking at like what it means for 2021. That's kind of where we're at right now is Julak has to show marked improvement. The cornerback situation is pretty scary. The good news is the offensive line is better than the numbers, like better than everybody seems to have thought. Um, but yeah, like there, there's some things that need doing. So but thanks for yeah, coming on. I, I, you're welcome. I, and like I said, I would not be surprised if we see in the next two games something like, uh, you know, Glasgow getting sit for Mooty. Yeah. Um, or for that matter, Wilkinson uh, getting getting benched for Anderson. Like where, you know, basically, if I, I would not be surprised if Mike Munchak went into Vic Fangio and said, look, these games don't mean anything one way or the other. We need to know what we've got in these, you know, guys that either we just drafted or the guys that we've been developing. Uh, we know what Elijah Wilkinson is. We know what his ceiling is. Um, and But we don't know with Anderson. You know, is Anderson going to be a guy that's a career backup? Is he going to be a guy that maybe turns into a starter sometime? Or is he going to be a guy that's, you know, worse than Wilkinson? Um, and, you know, maybe this is the time to find out. 
So, but we'll see. Go Broncos. Um, yeah, go Broncos. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Yep. <laughs>